Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 66 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Justin McGill of LeadFuse, who shares why he left behind a $360,000 a year service business to go all in on a product. Justin launched his first agency back in 2008 and built it into a seven-figure-a-year business, and along the way, he had his first idea for a software product. Thinking it was his million-dollar idea, he poured 10 months and $60,000 into development to launch the product, but the launch ultimately fell flat. For his second startup, he wanted to do things the right way, and that's how LeadFuse came about. It started as a productized service agency that eventually released software tools for users who wanted to take a do-it-yourself approach. Business was going great, but Justin knew he needed more focus. So when the surface side was doing $30,000 a month, he decided to shut it down completely and go all in on the software, even though that part of the business was only making $6,000 a month. Since then, Justin has had his share of ups and downs, but today the business is bigger than before and the growth doesn't show any signs of slowing down. In our interview, Justin tells us why he decided to shut down the profitable service business, the difference between selling software and selling services, and how agency owners can make the transition into products. If you're drawn to the software business like so many agency owners that I know, but need help finding the balance between your clients and your new project, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Justin. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. You bet, Andy. Appreciate you having me. Of course. So today you run LeadFuse, which was originally a productized service agency, and now it's a software company that helps B2B sales team find contact information from prospects, send personalized email, and follows up with them automatically. Can you share the story of how this all came about? You know, with my with my agency, uh, this, I launched it back in 2008. And for me, I was not a big fan of cold calling and spending my time doing that, right? But I knew that I needed to generate customers somehow. And so I ended up building kind of some, a couple different crawlers. I mean, one would do like Craigslist for job postings that had like SEO or digital marketing in it, for example. And then uh, that would just basically all get sent to me. And then I would kind of respond like, hey, you know, don't, don't hire someone, you know, just use me instead for, you know, a fraction of the cost, right? And so that was kind of the pitch there. And so that, that actually helped me get my first paying customer on a, on a marketing plan, which ended up being close to $2,000 a month. And so that kind of, you know, just paved the way for the agency to continue, quite frankly. And so uh, from there, you know, kind of built out some systems that would look up basically contact information based on keyword ranking. So I would say, you know, plumbers, Phoenix, I'm, I'm out of the Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona. And so I would say, you know, plumbers, Phoenix, and then I would pull in, you know, all of the companies that ranked on, you know, page two and, and whatnot. And then, uh, build in like a, basically there was a way for, for you to like look up who is information and, and whatnot. And I was doing this manually, uh, just to kind of build out the process and then kind of automated it. But, would pull in contact information that way. And then I had an email template that I would use that would reference the, the company name and the keyword I was looking up and whatnot. And so, you know, would send emails out that way and that got some more deals. And Were so, you basically looking for people on like the second page or after to say, hey, let's move you up to the first page? Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. And so, you know, for me, like, again, not, not, having necessarily a, a sales background and not wanting to spend time, you know, cold calling, right? Like I, I wanted something more scalable. And so 
you know, I kind of built these systems up and then, you know, ended up scaling out the agency, you know, built that into a seven figure business, put a team in place, but I was kind of ready for the next challenge. I wanted to actually get into software. Um, you know, I was kind of just done with the, with the service side of things. And so I ended up thinking I had a, an idea, which was a product called Workadoo, which is basically campaign management software. It was something that we had built for our agency to kind of manage ongoing recurring marketing campaigns and just the tasks associated, most like task management apps are kind of for one-off projects, like web projects and whatnot. So I uh, thought, you know, that was my, my million dollar idea, right? And so I was like, okay, let me, let me run with that. Ended up basically doing everything wrong. Uh, you know, spent 10 months in development, didn't talk to anybody about it, uh, spent 60 grand on it during that time and ended up just launching it like out into the wild, right? Like didn't really put any, anything into kind of a pre-launch effort, didn't talk to potential customers about it again. So uh, needless to say that fell flat and I, I always kind of shoot for like a 30 day goal just to kind of let me know if I'm, if I'm on the right path or not. And so it, for that particular business, I said, okay, you know, I'd like to be at, you know, at least $500 in MRR within the first 30 days, right? Monthly recurring revenue. And so uh, when I launched that, you know, fell on deaf ears and, and never got to $500. And so I was like, all right, well, I, I don't want to be stubborn about it. I need to kind of reevaluate uh, what I have at my disposal and, and maybe launch uh, a, a different business instead, right? What made you so attracted to software like why you had built a seven-figure agency what was this draw away from that and towards something new something different yeah i guess my my personality type you know i like uh, i like the challenge i like using software products i'm, I'm what you might call a sass hole so I, you know i just i love you know interacting with different tools that can potentially help me be more productive right so um i've always kind of been drawn to it felt like, you know, I wanted to apply what I knew from a digital marketing standpoint uh, towards my own product versus, you know, for, for clients. And so, um, you know, I thought it would be a great experience doing it, you know, just for, for myself, you know. And so uh, that, that's ultimately what led me down that path. I mean, software, you know, obviously that could have meant any type of business. I, I just I didn't want to do service any longer. Um, I wanted to, you know, I just felt like software was kind of this this emerging thing, you know, software as a service in particular. Uh, was this emerging vertical that, you know, especially in the marketing space, I mean, there's just so many marketers. And so I uh, felt like, you know, I, I wanted to get in on that, right? So that's that's ultimately uh, a big reason. Okay. And so you, you launch work to do, it's almost launching to crickets. You learn a bit of your lessons and you go back to the drawing board. And what happens then? Yeah. So at that point I decided, okay, well, I don't want to spend 10 months building out another software platform and have the same thing happen. Right. So I decided to kind of take a look at what I'd already had. And that was some of those lead gen tools I was telling you about and said, okay, what if, you know, I basically provide a service around that just to validate the business and help self fund it, knowing that it would transition into a software company, but initially it would allow me to charge more uh, validate that people were interested and that they would pay for something like this. And obviously, you know, allow me to, to fund actual development and build a team and all that good stuff. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of how it started. So I actually launched the business over a 24 hour period in like December of 2014. And, 
got it out there, uh, you know, got it connected to Stripe and, you know, could, could accept payments right away. But this was like a week before Christmas and that was not the best time to launch a business. But needless to say, I said I wanted to generate $1,000 in recurring revenue in those first 30 days. And so, uh, you know, I lined up conversations with people, uh, you know, towards the end of that year. And uh, our, I think our first customer came on like December 29th. And so I was already about two weeks into my 30 day goal. And at the time I was just charging like $300 a month because I wanted to, you know, test it out and see if it could be sold and didn't know what I should price it at. But, uh, you know, fast forward a couple more weeks and, and we had, you know, a handful of customers and achieved a thousand dollars MRR. So then at that point I knew, you know, I could actually focus on that as a business. And so, you know, the, the rest is history, I guess. At that <laughs> so you're doing this fully productized. Are you working with VAs? Uh, not initially. So I was actually going to, so I was outsourcing the development initially, um, or that was the plan. And I was actually in a different entrepreneurial community called, uh, at the time it was called the Micropreneur Academy. And so that's a, it's a group by Rob Walling and, and I got involved in that crowd and, uh, that, that's been that's been great, but there was a developer in there that was interested in working on something with me, and he knew I had the the marketing background, and so we talked through different ideas, and we were actually going to explore even a different one if Leapfuse wasn't taking off, and so luckily that that happened, and so he really wanted to get involved, and so he came on board instead. I kind of canceled the original agreement uh, with the other developer that was building it because this was actually going to be done in a different language, and so. Um, so that's how that all got started. And then, you know, a few months into it, I was just overwhelmed. I mean, I was needing to write all of the email copy that was going to be going out. I, would, I was needing to run our, our software in the background, which was not really ready for this type of use. Right? It was built for me initially. And so, uh, you know, it just got overwhelming. And so eventually I, I, I brought on a, uh, you know, a virtual assistant to help. Uh, and then actually brought on somebody that I had worked with at my agency uh, to actually help write email copy. And, and that way I could just focus on sales. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened initially. What was the timeline? Like when did this early edition of Lead Fuse launch? So uh, as a product I service or? Yeah. Or so the, the product I service launched just before Christmas, right? In, two, in 2014. And then uh, basically in July of 2015, so about eight months later, we launched the first version of the software product. And so that was just a prospecting tool at that point. And so now it's you know evolved quite a bit. But at the time, it just gathered contacts and tried to find email addresses. And so that was something that we were using internally to actually uh, you know look up leads for customers. And so by then we had you know, like three or four different virtual assistants that would actually go and build lists for, for our done-for-you customers. And, um, you know, eventually we started to phase that out, uh, you know, after the software was launched, we wanted to kind of get more exclusively focused on the software. Again, I just, my, my long-term vision of this was never to, you know, stay in the service side. And so wanted to, you know, make that transition, which was a, a pretty big decision, actually. I mean, it was kind of decided, I guess, at the end of 2015, to really just exclusively focus on software. And so we kind of phased out, you know, just acquiring new customers. And by the end of April of 2016, it was just, we completely eliminated the done for you service. 
When you made that decision to start phasing out, how roughly what was the MRR of the service side of the business? Yeah, so great question. So 30, around 30,000 MRR on, on the service side and the software was at about 6,000. So it was a, uh, it was a gamble. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'm a poker player, so I'm okay with those types of gambles, but you know, it was, it was definitely a big risk. I ended up taking a loan out in the business as well, uh, just to, you know, try and bridge the gap a little bit. And luckily, you know, shortly after, uh, so in April, we, we ended up closing the Dumpery service and we entered April at, let me think here, it was at 11K MRR and with the software. And that month we added 13K in MRR. And so we got up to about 24K. Um, but we, you know, that we, we really maximized our email list at that point. I mean, we put out a, an exclusive offer to write people's email copy, um, which at the time that, you know, was just unheard of. And now it's actually just a built in part of our, our package offering. But uh, at, that, at that time it was like an exclusive offer for, for, you know, a week, a week time frame. It was actually like five days. And then uh, a week later we ran a, a special for an increase in leads. And so, you know, those two uh, kind of specials, time specials ended up working out pretty well, you know, drove a lot of conversions. Uh, we ended up having quite a bit of churn in May just because people just wanted the email copy written and then they there, there was some drawback there for sure, but um, you know we've we've obviously since been able to to stabilize. But April was a key month for us. You know, it was the month we officially closed everything off on on the done for you side, uh, and luckily we we were able to exponentially grow the the revenue on the software side to at least soften the blow so that right. We weren't negative. I, I want to back up a little bit to when you're making that decision to uh, go back and and just shut down the service side of the business because I know you're friends with, with Brian Castle and if you follow his sort of productized model, at least as an outsider, it seems like you had a lot of systems in place. You had your team that was delivering that. Why couldn't you just leave that alone and let it just keep operating? Maybe not spend a lot of effort marketing, but why did you have to actually shut it down? Yeah, so so – Actually, Brian and I talked about this for a while, and, and ultimately, it, you know, so so productizing a service can certainly help scale revenues beyond if if you didn't have some sort of a system in place. But I don't necessarily believe that it's truly a scalable process. I mean, I you know you're, you're ultimately you're just gonna gonna keep needing to hire more people, and uh, you know you've got to expand the team, right? Like on a consistent basis to to you know just fulfill that service. And so we, we had a little bit of a debate about this on, on the Zero to Scale podcast in one episode a while back even. But, you know, essentially, A, again, I just I didn't want to be in a service-driven business. I, I did not want to, like, dilute the marketing message either. And so I wanted our website and everything to be, you know, when you thought of LeadFuse, it, it was a product. It was a platform. I uh, didn't want the confusion around, you know, uh, this this the service side, quite frankly, is, is part of it. And uh, I think the focus, you know, I think ultimately if we're trying to sell both, uh, we would have not been as successful at either one compared to if, if we just focused on one or the other exclusively. And so, um, you know, and at the same time, it was just a, you know, it was still a headache to manage. I mean, we had a lot 
processes in place. Um, but you know, this is something where, and I'm sure a lot of agency listeners can attest to this where, you know, if like for an SEO, right, if you're ranking, if you get a client to rank well in search results, well, now they want more keywords, right? There's, it's never like, oh, this is great, right? It's, it's always more, more, more. And so, um, you know, if you've generated, you know, five leads for, for a customer that their average value is $10,000, that, that seems like that'd be great. But, you know, now they wanted 10, right? So, um, you know, it's just, just, so you've got to set expectations, obviously, um, up front and, and during the sales process, which, you know, we, we try and do, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're always just going to want more. And so, you know, again, kind of go, even going back to my agency days where, um, you know, I just, I, again, I just did not want to provide a service, right? I wanted to be kind of removed from that, but it, it served a great purpose in, in the fact that it allowed us to validate the, the market and, and the, you know, ultimately what we were building. Right, because it seems like it wasn't even as though you launched as a productized service. While that's what you're doing, it's really an MVP just to validate that the market was there and almost being like the man behind the curtain. Like you're going to sell it like this. You're going to be doing a lot of the work behind the scenes while you build the software to be able to do it more automatically. Is that a fair way of phrasing it? That is a perfect way of phrasing it. I mean, that's exactly what it was. The, the product I service, it was really just an MVP, right? I mean, it was, it was a sellable MVP that we could charge for right away. You know, it was um, obviously key to being able to, to self-fund it. I, you know, again, I just I didn't want to spend ten months and another sixty grand hoping that you know this, this next product was going to be better, right? Your experience up until this point was on selling services. So when you were getting ready to launch a product, what were you thinking? How were you preparing yourself to market and sell software rather than service? Did you think there was going to be a major change in the way you had to go about doing that? Yeah, so it was kind of interesting because with the sales process with an agency, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of competition. Everybody's a, a marketing expert these days. And so you're, you're up against that. And you know, it's, it's price is obviously a big factor. So at the same time, there, it's not necessarily like, Oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going out of business. You know, it, it's, it's something that is, uh, you, you're, I mean, I would argue that it's a, it's, it's an aspirin, right? It's a must have, but it, you know, from, from a company perspective or perspective client, you know, their perspective is, is that it's more about, well, this would be great, but you know, my doors are still open. Right. So, yeah. So, so that sense of urgency just wasn't there. And so those sales cycles were, were, you know, rather long. I mean, they can be. And so with lead views on the product I service, it was pretty interesting because oftentimes these, these were just one call closes. And so that kind of helped prepare, I guess, the, the sales process for the software in the sense that, you know, there wasn't this long, robust sales process where, you know, you needed, you know, the right type of sales content in, in different stages. And, you know, it was, it was basically, you know, if I felt they were qualified when they would fill out a, a form, then, uh, and the form just asked like about their target market and you know, what their business was and everything. But if I felt from there that they were a fit, we'd hop on a, on a literally a 15 minute call. Um, I had a, a very strict, you know, script that, uh, I, I kind of stuck to time and again. And, and then, uh, would ultimately end the call with, you know, is there any reason why you wouldn't sign up? And then that would uncover objections or it would get them to commit. And that was it, you know, um, I had a follow-up canned, you know, canned message in my Gmail once those sales calls were were over, and 
that was just directing them to the sign up. And so that, you know, that, that process kind of carried over into the software side where obviously we started with a free trial. We still do. And so, um, you know, we get them into the trial and then for, you know, like right now we're actually doing this whole qualification process. So there's a discovery process that happens. We'll have an SDR actually, you know, call the, the free trial sign up, qualify them, make sure that, you know, we're a good fit for them too. And then if so, they'll schedule a call with kind of what we call a product specialist, which is my chief sales officer. And so then he'll actually deliver the, the demo. And uh, we've got a kind of a process for that about, you know, just, the, the world's changing and, you know, you need to adapt and, and then we kind of showcase the views, obviously. And then from there, typically it's, we know then that they're going to sign up or not, you know. Um, Is that process required for someone to sign up for lead fuse today? Do they have to talk to someone to sign up? No, as of right now, no, it's, uh, it's, you know, you can actually sign up yourself. You can then, you know, sign up to a paid plan. You know, you don't have to go through any, any rep or anything like that. Um, that may change, you know, we're, we're, seeing that customers that cancel or raise a lot of tickets, you know, support tickets, those are ones that typically are not people we've spoken with during, you know, during their onboarding process, at least on the phone. And so, um, you know, we kind of want to, you know, get them into our way of thinking, right. And, and be able to set expectations and, and do all those great things that, you know, you just can't do without being on the phone with them. And so we're, we, we may change that, um, you know, a self-service option right now. But um, for, for now, you know, that the plan is to, you know, just continue on. But obviously, you know, look for opportunities to improve it. We're adding, uh, we just hired three SDRs. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, make sure that we're reaching out to free trial signups, you know, just quickly, you know, more, more quickly. Uh, we weren't doing it at all, really. And just relying on them to convert, uh, which was, which was, Doing okay. I mean, the free trial, the paid conversion was about eight percent. Um, not requiring credit card up front. We obviously improved that, but um, that's why we were hiring the SDR team, right? So um, now we want to actually, you know, reach out and facilitate those conversations up front. I'm imagining agency owners who are listening right now, and even even you, is that when you're coming from the service side of the business, you have people who close deals, you have people who manage accounts, you have that process, but you don't really have the more Silicon Valley, SDR, account executive kind of clear structure of how a sales organization works in this type of business. So where did you get that expertise and experience to actually start building that out? Yeah, so I actually had uh, through the Zero to Scale podcast, I had someone reach out to me that was in similar circles named Damian Thompson, and he was launching a uh, sales coaching program and offered to have me come into that program for free in exchange for you know feedback and then helping him kind of create his process as well. And so I took him up on that, and we we talked, uh, you know, regularly, like weekly, had, you know, regular calls, and and then that was about nine or ten months into it. Um, I, I actually just brought up him coming on board at Leafuse and and putting it all together, and and twenty four hours later we hammered out a deal, and he came on board, and so like he's literally in the conference room right now uh, doing a, a live demo call with. A couple of trainees over his shoulder. So, uh, you know, so yeah, so that's kind of how we, we put that all together and, and kind of built that system. 
if someone is listening, they don't have access to a network where they immediately know someone who they could reach out to or, or who would reach out to them to help complement their skills, what advice would you give on how to find a partner like that? Well, first, I would recommend reading The Sales Development Playbook by Trish Bertuzzi. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. It talks about sales process. It talks about how to compensate salespeople. It's just a, a really good read. Uh, and that's for, for anybody. I mean, just anybody listening should, should have, have that book on their nightstand. I mean, it's a, it's a really good book. Um, so that's obviously if you, if you, um, that's for if you don't know anybody, right? But even if you, I still think you should, you should read that. Now, if you want to find, you know, a coach, I mean, I, I can certainly introduce you to several. I, I, I know now that I'm in this space, but, um, you know, you can join, listen, I mean, there, there's a, there's a couple of options. You can join a mastermind with people that are like-minded. So you brought up Brian Castle. I mean, him and I were in a mastermind together, right? So um, a mastermind is just a group of people that they get together, you know, say once a month. Uh, it could be, you know, more often if you'd like, but, you know, once a month or once a week, you know, however often. And, and ultimately, uh, just talk about your, your business challenges. And, and these are people that are in similar situations as you. Uh, so they may not always have, like, the, the perfect roadmap for you to follow, but you know, it's, there's some great advice that can come from that. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for like more of a, of a coach, I mean, Google it, right? I mean, it's, I mean, there's, there's courses, there's, there's actual people just like Damien was for me that would kind of take me under their wing and, and kind of give me, uh, you know, pass down their knowledge and, and I'm a sponge for that stuff. I mean, I just want to soak up as much as I can. And so, um, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, those are the paths that I would recommend. Yeah. No, I mean, those are all great suggestions. And I think at the end of the day, while there are going to be best practices, while there are going to be uh, different pieces of advice to help people get to that next step, get there, you really do need to be curious. You need to be willing to put in the hard work to learn. And it's funny because when you were talking about what was necessary to figure these things out, like you dove head first in it. Obviously, Damien reached out, but you're still taking a course. You're still spending a lot of time learning these things, reading books and all of that. And it seems like that curious, willing-to-learn attitude has helped you a lot to this point. Do you think that's fair? Oh, man, you just nailed it. So curiosity for me is like one of the number one traits I look for during the interview process. And um, for us, we have three core values. Number two is a thirst for knowledge. You know, we want people that are trying to educate themselves, they're reading books, they're listening to podcasts, they're, they're doing whatever they can to improve themselves, both professionally and personally. You know, it uh, doesn't always have to be business books, right? Like expand your vocabulary by reading any sort of book if, if need be, but do something, right? And so uh, have, like, we had to actually let go of one of the trainees after their first day because that was not their personality. You know, they, they were not going to read, they, you know, they just weren't a good culture fit. And so for us, like we want to be around smart people, right? Um, you know, we want to be around people that, that, you know, get done, right? That's our other, other model. I don't, I don't know if you allow swearing, you can, I guess. It's too late for that now. <laughs> but so, that, you know, um, but yeah, th the thirst for knowledge, right? The, the desire to learn is, is a big thing for me. Uh, it's something that we bet during the hiring process. And we, we, you know, hire and fire based on that. So, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly an important trait. How big is your team now? We have six full-timers and we have two, uh, two more part-timers right now. When we're hiring for uh, a content person, we're hiring for, for sales as well. So, 
And at this point, what have you surpassed the MRR that you've given up by getting rid of the service business? Yeah, so we've actually so we're at like thirty six k MRR now, uh, and this is early early Feb. Um, we went through just a brutal stretch of basically our original CTO left in August of last year, and just ultimately uh, wasn't wasn't quite cut out for for this this business. Um, but you know, over the next three months the product just stopped working. Like we were failing to deliver on our promise. And so we were just losing customers left and right. And so like, I mean, we were at 30 K MRR last July and ended December right at 30 K MRR. Right. Like, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Uh, Is a lot of that because of churn or I'm guessing it didn't just stay literally flat. You had new customers coming in, some leaving. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were adding $8,000 a month in new revenue and losing $8,000 a month in in revenue. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, The product just was not, was not working. We were a SaaS company. We had no engineers on the team. Uh, it was, it was a brutal, like three, four month stretch. Um, luckily, you know, obviously it was just a hardcore focus on getting the the product straightened out. I mean, I I went through several different contractors I went through part-time developers, but ultimately when you're, when you're doing something like that, it's just not like, it's not their primary focus. And so because of that, you're never a priority. And so your, your sense of urgency is not theirs. And, you know, just the product was not getting fixed, you know, at least at the rate that we needed it to. And so eventually, uh, we, we, you know, we got an awesome engineer in place now and the products stabilized. And so, you know, in the last, uh, you know, in the last month, I mean, we've, we've added, you know, six, seven K, you know, profit and to our monthly recurring revenue. And so, you know, now, now we're back off to the races again. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, we're just coming out of that, you know, so, uh, that's been quite the interesting experience, but uh, very difficult, but obviously, uh, you know, thankful for the situation we're in now. Right, because I had asked you before the interview what most surprised you about making the change from the service business to SaaS, and you said you didn't realize quite how much was involved on the tech side. And so for someone who, say, might currently run a marketing agency, how could they best prepare for some of these features if they are going to get into the SaaS side of things? You know, so one of the things I did, if, if you're not a technical person, is try and find a technical person that maybe you're not even, you know, you're not going to hire them. Uh, maybe they're like just crazy successful and they're making 10x what you could pay them and all that good stuff. But if you could have them maybe interview a couple of candidates for you and actually do code reviews with them and uh, just do some vetting for you up front, it's worth it. Uh, So I did that myself. I had a super senior guy out of Silicon Valley actually uh, agree to kind of do some interviews of candidates that I brought to him. And through that process, um, you know, I was able to find the guy that we're using. That's just awesome. He's on the team. He's, he's you know, a stakeholder in the business. Um, and that came from, from this guy's reviews. And so, uh, you know, finding, you know, finding somebody, just reaching out. I, mean, I had no relationship with this person that did that right for me. And so, uh, just, just, you know, finding a, a senior person to, vet your potential freelancers or, or, you know, early stage CTO or something. Cause that, you know, when you're not a technical 
co-founder, like you, you're a founder, you just, you don't, you don't know, right? You don't know what the skill sets are. And so, um, so yeah, so that, that definitely proved worthwhile. I'm very thankful that, you know, we, we had the opportunity to do that. And then how important was it to actually get that engineer full-time on staff rather than working with freelancers or part-time people? So he was part-time initially. He just okay. had an, an exit from a company and was fine just doing part-time, but wasn't really too interested in taking on a full-time job. And I mean, I basically just got on my hands and knees. And <laughs> what do we have to do? Uh, you know, willing to to. Uh, so he's actually out of the country. So I was like, I'm I'm willing to fly there. I'm really like, let's like, what do we have to do? We have to make this happen. You, I, I want you to just stop any other little side projects. I want you to come on board full time. Like this is, you know, just got to be a hundred percent focus. And so, um, you know, we we were able to hammer out that deal and and get him on board full time. Uh, then got a junior developer to work with him as well. That's just worked out tremendously. And so, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that's strong now. But yeah, I mean, I, I basically just, just had to beg. Working with some early stage startups myself and seeing how things work is that people love talking about churn and marketers love writing about churn. But so much of the churn advice is on little hacks and different ways to do onboarding and to do these different things where it's like, that stuff's important, of course, but like in the early stages of a startup, a lot of your churn is going to come from having an unstable or unfinished product. And it just doesn't have what the users need. And that's why like upfront, a lot of times it does make sense to really heavily invest in engineering resources to fix those things because it doesn't matter how great your onboarding and your drip emails and all of that are if your product at the end of the day isn't stable. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's still, there's product market fit too that you need to find early on. And so, you know, the, the little churn hacks that you read are, are certainly later stage, right? Those are those problems when you're a little more mature, but early on, you know, just having the technical side of it. And, and I just, I don't think you can ultimately be successful. Obviously it depends on what success means to you. If it's, you know, a five to $10,000, side business or, or full-time business, but that's your, that's your income. Like that's, then, and you feel that that's success, then great. Right. For me, uh, I have bigger aspirations. And so I, I could not have launched the business and gotten to this point without, and uh, in, uh, in where we're going, you know, without somebody full-time dedicated versus a contractor or something like that, that's kind of building it out in stages, right? Like that. And that's the typical path you go down is, um, you know, I've got, I've got some, some money here that I can invest into it. Uh, let me find a contractor and, and, and three months we'll have the product because once, once you do that, I mean, you, now you need to iterate on that product and you've got to fix bugs and, you know, add new features. And, you know, it's, so from a, a project standpoint, it's just, you know, it, it might work initially, but you know, for you to get any sort of scale, I mean, you're just not going to be able to do it that way. Speaking of that point, if you didn't have bigger aspirations, you probably wouldn't have shut down the service side of the of the business. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because you know, I could have turned that into a seven figure business easy. Um, we were well on our way. I mean, you know, I ended up shutting that down pretty pretty early. But you know, uh, but yeah, if, I, if that was what I was after, then I could have done that. But you know, I, I just had an agency. I, like I, I mentioned earlier, my personality type. I just I want the next challenge, right? So for me, I want to you know I want to ten x the, the agency, right? I want to at, at minimum. And so um, you know, that's I, I just 
didn't feel I was going to get there with uh, with an. I see. Assuming this is going to at least settle down the churn problem for now, and it's going to help with growth and all of that, what is the next challenge that you really think you need to face going forward? Yeah, I think there's always going to be challenges for every stage you're in, right? But uh, for us right now, it's, it's it's scaling out a sales team. Uh, it's actually you know doing more on the marketing side. So that's obviously my background, and and you know our. our Keyword rankings are continuously going up. Our traffic levels are continuously going up, which is great. Um, but there's, I mean, we're not even scratching the surface, right? I mean, we're we're doing some in-depth blog posts that you know are, are performing well, uh, and that's about the extent of it from a marketing standpoint. So there's so much more to do there. We've done no paid advertising. Uh, we don't do anything really on social media. I mean, there's just you know, uh, it's it's basically been blog posts. Uh, we're we're really focused on a lot of guest blog opportunities this year and, and producing you know even like our goal is to have over 100 blog posts published on our blog this year. Uh, we want to do at least 50 guest posts this year, um, and so we're well on our way there. Uh, you know, but you know from there, obviously, I want to tie more into attribution. You know, uh, where where these deals are coming from and what content is driving revenue, and you know, there's all these things that we're not doing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton that we're not doing. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to starting to dive into, you know, those challenges. You have this, not necessarily a common story, but it's a familiar story to a lot of people who are maybe currently running marketing agencies and they do want to get into products because they think to themselves like, okay, I have all this marketing knowledge. I've been doing this for clients for years. If I get this product built, then I can just focus on the marketing and I can just shoot it to the moon right away. But as you found that once you really let that product out into the wild, a thousand other things popped up where it just made it that you couldn't even really find the time to actually work on what originally drove you to the business, it seems like. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, very uh, limited time to actually perform any of those marketing activities, right? Like, so right now, uh, one of our hires is actually a marketing person, but I mean, we're, we're two years into the business now, right? Like, it's been kind of on my shoulders up until this point. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I will say, I, I do think that agency founders, digital marketing agencies in particular, uh, have a, a great opportunity with with any business they want to get into. I mean, as long as there's you know a, a market of people that will be willing to pay money for whatever it is that you want to do or build, um, you know, to have having the marketing experience, I think just just been so helpful. I mean, I uh, could not imagine like there's just we would not be even sniffing where we're at if if I had no marketing background. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's, uh, it talks to what you were mentioning earlier about the importance of validation. And it's that it, you can't just skip that step. But once you've done that step, once you've validated that something is there and that there's a market that wants it, which basically is validation, I guess. But once you've done that, once you've hit that step, then that's when those marketing skills come into play. Because at the end of the day, if there's a problem, people are willing to pay for it and there's enough people, it's really just all about marketing to get to those people. That's that's exactly it, right? So I know for us, I mean, we've had you know 120 uh, inbound free trial signups in the last three days, right? Yeah, so it's 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 moving fast, right? And and that's with limited marketing effort, you know. So just our, our content, you know, it's all inbound. Um, we we ju- I mean, our our sales team is literally in training right now. I mean, we don't even have an outbound sales team going right now. Um, and so everything's coming inbound. 
you know? And so, but yeah, that's, that's from search engine rankings, right? That's obviously my background in, in SEO and, and content. You know, we've been producing content um, since really the very beginning of Leaf Use. I mean, I was, you know, had a focus on that. And so, uh, you know, those efforts are starting to compound now, you know? And, and so, you know, just more and more keyword rankings, right? More and more traffic, which is nice. And so, um, you know, yeah, I mean, so now from here, it's like, okay, now that I actually am starting to be able to focus on marketing, you know, those, those results are coming in, right? So um, I could not have been able to do that with a broken product, though, you know? and that's, that's what we had. And so, you know, obviously my time was, was fully there for several months, um, and I'm still the one that's overseeing the product development, right? Or I'm not doing anything, but I'm involved in, you know, kind of the direction. Um, and, and involved in daily standups and all that good stuff with our with our dev team, but um, but yeah, you know it'll be nice to be able to start focusing on on what I'm good at for sure, which is on the marketing side. Right, and it seems like it's easy to underestimate just how difficult it is to get a stable product built. Yeah, especially when you're using you know multiple data providers, right? Because sometimes your product won't work because of a data provider, right? So sometimes I'm just jealous of companies like Trello where. You just have this platform and really you don't need to do anything to it anymore, right? Like, I mean, you, obviously they're going to, you know, continue to try to innovate, but, um, you know, it's just, it's just so basic, so simple. There's not a whole lot to it. Um, you know, our, our software, there's just, there's so much happening. Um, and, and when a user adds a lead, I mean, we're, we're calling several different data providers and uh, it's not just, you know, loading a, a variable from a database you know there's just there's more to it and so when you're doing that there's there's more that can go wrong you know so um you know different different parts of the app can break and you know you're you're fixing things you fixed last week and you know there's, there's all kinds of little nuances like that but uh but yeah you know it's it's important obviously to to try and, and have a stable product first and foremost i'm gonna stop justin right there for a quick word from a sponsor but don't go anywhere we'll be right back the Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easier for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Hubstaff for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff.com. All right, let's get back to Justin. Throughout this interview, we've talked a lot about different pieces of advice for agency owners. And I thought it was pretty cool the way that you kept us adding in really actionable stuff. So I appreciate that. But I want to say, before we start wrapping up, do you have any advice either to yourself at this at the point when you first got into this or to other agency owners who are at the turning point where they're ready to start building their own SaaS app? Do you have any advice that could help make it easier for them? Yeah, so I guess it depends on where you're at with your agency, but I would recommend, you know, maybe kind of blocking out some resources at the agency to actually try and, you know, and put those put those resources to work on, you know, a, a different product, right, that, or, or a new product that you could launch. 
Um, if you're, you know, a smaller, a smaller shop, uh, you know, I would use, I would just think about the agency kind of being the tool that will allow you to self-fund that development. And so, you know, depending on how small, I mean, if you're a solo shop, that can be tough, right? Because you need to get the bills paid. Um, and in that case, you probably don't have much else of an option but to find some sort of a contractor um, and, and perhaps even like an offshore contractor, you know, depending on, you know, just, just where you're at financially. Um, and so, you know, obviously sites like Upwork can be super helpful. I've had a ton of success through Upwork. Uh, I'm in the top 1% of spenders in, in Upwork and at, at two different companies. So my agency was and, and even LeadFuses. And so, um, you know, there, there's really good talent there, you know, um, obviously, I, I mean, I feel like for the business, at least from a software standpoint, for that business to end up scaling and becoming successful, you're going to need somebody that has, you know, CTO material that can, you know, has DevOps experience, meaning, and that was something our original CTO didn't have. And so that hurt us when, you know, we started to grow beyond what, you know, he built the system for. And so, you know, we had to move over to AWS. We weren't on AWS initially. And, uh, you know, he had no experience in AWS himself. And luckily, our, our new guy, uh, you know, he, he knows all about it. And so, um, I mean, in fact, I'm actually looking at dashboard right now inside of AWS that tells me all these key metrics and within the app and, and alerts me if something's going wrong, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, just... Finding somebody with with that level of experience as well, not just coding, you know, can can certainly make your life so much easier later on. Yeah, honestly, you've given us a ton about tips to follow, things to avoid, all of that. I think if people out there are running a service business right now, don't necessarily throw away 30K MRR and dive right in. You might not have the risk tolerance that Justin has, but at least he's given you a ton to start making the transition and start getting your feet wet to see what works. So before we wrap up, I'd like to ask all of my guests a few rapid fire questions and the questions will come quickly, but your answers don't need to be short. So the first one is, what do you spend too much time doing? Probably uh, talking to the team in Slack. I need to, uh, to spend more time shutting that down and, and focusing on what needs to get done. And then what do you not spend enough time doing? Marketing. You know, uh, it's my background and it's what I want to focus on. Uh, but, you know, just other responsibilities and, and things popping up. I mean, we just moved into a nice new office here in North Scottsdale. And so a lot of energy being spent there. But, uh, but you know, marketing is where I want to focus. And then to that point, in the next quarter, what are you hoping to accomplish? So want to roll out uh, some, some major game-changing features uh, with LeapViews that are you know, being, uh, being worked on now. And so that's going to be the big thing. We're going to be rolling out a new uh, like an explainer video on the website as well to kind of compound that. Um, you know, more content, you know, I would like to have a content person hired as well that can oversee all of our content production process. Uh, have our sales team running and have these guys uh, last and be successful. So all that in this next quarter. <laughs> what is the biggest obstacle to actually achieving that in your mind? Uh, I think just being maybe pulled in too many different directions, right? I mean, we're talking about the three pillars of the business. So it's it's the product and it's marketing and it's sales, right? Those are the three things and, and all of those need to be working together, I think, for us to ultimately you know, achieve all of those things. 
And then earlier you had mentioned about having big aspirations. So the last question I just want to ask is, what are the actual long-term plans for Lead Fuse? Yep. So by the end of this year, we want to be at 120,000 MRR. Uh, by the end of next year, we want to be at uh, 500,000 MRR. And ultimately, we want to have you know 5,000 paying customers uh, on our on our kind of average plan on our middle plan, which is Automate, which is $500 a month. So, uh, so yeah. So our, our Wi-Fi password is is 5K customers, right? Like that. That's our long-term focus. Justin, so before we say goodbye, if people want to follow along with your story, if people want to get advice from you and see what you've been up to and how the journey is going, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah, uh, probably just leadfuse.com. They can shoot me an email if they've got questions, justin at leadfuse.com as well. Awesome. I'll make sure to get all that linked up in the show notes. I won't put your email address here because I don't want you to get spammed to oblivion. But if listeners want to shoot you an email, they're more than encouraged. So, Justin, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Andy. I've had a few agency owners come on the show to talk about getting into the software startup world, and it's been interesting to hear their different perspectives. Some, like Brian Castle and Justin, launch as a service to bootstrap their product and test the waters for what they're planning to offer down the road. For others, like Samuel Timothy, the product only came about because of the pain points he experienced serving his clients. It wasn't his goal when he started the agency to eventually create a product. It just happened that way. Justin decided to shut down the service side of the business while Brian and Samuel did not, but what they all agree on is that you need to remain laser focused to succeed. Justin simply wasn't able to maintain that focus while running what were effectively two separate businesses. For Samuel and his partner, they ended up splitting the businesses so that they could both receive the focus and resources that they need, while Brian has systematized his service business so much that he's able to keep operating it without interfering with the launch of the product. Whatever approach you decide is right for you, learn from all of these entrepreneurs and make sure to test the waters first before committing serious time and money to any of your product ideas. Once you get some traction, then it's time to focus and double down your efforts because as Justin said, the challenges never stop coming. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you could take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors or maybe even looking for a few extra projects and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.